A Man Sent from God. William Brigham. By Gordon Lindsay. Chapter 15. The time soon arrived to begin the Northwest meetings. We still had the task of pastoring at Ashland. Fortunately the Lawn Fox Evangelistic Party came to our church at that time and the meeting proved to be one of the most outstanding Ashland had ever experienced. What little time was available, we used in completing arrangements for the Brenham campaigns, which were to begin first in Vancouver, BC, and then to go south to the States. The three pastors of the main churches of the city, sponsoring the meeting were Rev. Walter McAllister, Rev. W. J. M. Baxter, and Rev. Clarence Hall. Much of the success of this meeting was due to the fine work of preparation made by this local committee. Rev. Baxter, who was later to become a member of the Brigham Party, described the meeting in the following words, Scenes of indescribable glory were witnessed during the all-too-brief, foray, citywide campaign with Rev. William Brigham. As in other cities, so in Vancouver, the largest available auditoriums were inadequate to accommodate the teeming multitudes that waited on the ministry of our brother. Surrounding towns and villages seemed to literally empty into Vancouver, until the whole city was conscious of the spiritual impact of thousands of praying, believing people. Ministerial delegations from various cities attended with a view to securing the ministry of Brother Brigham for similar meetings in their various fields of labor. Thousands were unable to gain access to the meetings, and this in spite of a transportation strike involving all streetcars and buses. The Vancouver meetings were preceded by three mass prayer meetings, and three great preparation services on the day before the meetings commenced. Right from the beginning of negotiations for the coming of Brother Brigham to Vancouver, a salutary spirit of unity and cooperation prevailed among the Vancouver ministers. This gracious spirit continued and in fact increased throughout the meetings, and is yet very much a reality, finding expression in fellowship groups and meetings. We have noted this to be one of the outstanding features of Brother Branham's ministry in other cities, also. And how desperately it has been needed. Many testimonies of healing have continued to come to the attention of local pastors, and many marvelous works were wrought by the immediate action of the Holy Spirit at the time of prayer. To undertake any kind of a report on the healings experienced would be an impossible task, for should one speak of crossed eyes straightened, or of bedridden invalids raised, or of the deaf hearing, or of the dumb speaking? Or should one seek to recount the thrilling testimonies of those relieved of cancers, tumors and goiters? The task is too great, and when seemingly completed, it has only begun. Final records will only be read when we stand before the giver of every good and perfect gift. Despite the transportation tie-up, the large auditorium seating several thousands was filled every night indeed on the last day the doors were closed at five o'clock. It was evident that few men ever were able to do as much good in four days as Brother Branham did in Vancouver. Many ministers attended and returned to their churches enthusiastic and inspired over the remarkable demonstration of the power of God which they had witnessed. The next meeting was in Portland, Oregon, and began on Armistice Day. Services were held in various auditoriums, but no building was found that was able to take care of the crowds. For the last three nights the municipal auditorium was engaged, but on the final night even this spacious place was crowded out. Hundreds of ministers attended, and religious services in full gospel circles practically ceased except at the auditorium where the services were going on. The account of the dramatic challenge of the demon-possessed man which took place in this meeting appears in the first chapter of this book. 
from Portland we went to Salem. The large armory was packed out and so were all its separate lower rooms which were fitted with loudspeakers. Reverend Walter Friedrich, chairman of the local committee, had this to say, from Salem, Oregon, we too wish to sound out a note of praise to God for the mighty visitation from God during the Branium meetings. People came from the States and Canada. Never in the city's history has such a crowd thronged a place for religious meetings. Salem was stirred and made God conscious. Many were the miracles of healing, and one is still hearing of testimonies of deliverance. From Salem, Brother Branium went to our own city of Ashland where the local armory seating was jammed out. The following week the party drove over to Boise where a powerful three-day campaign filled the largest auditorium in the city. In the days of services, with only a comparative small amount of newspaper advertising, some people had heard the gospel of healing and at least these were ministers. In these meetings we might mention that Brother Branham's strength was far below par. He attempted to commute to Phoenix, Arizona, on Sundays and hold afternoon services in the Shrine Auditorium. Sometimes he had to be up all night. Once his plane circled for hours seeking to land, while a thick fog shrouded the field in almost impenetrable density. The results of these meetings were all the more remarkable when we consider how the evangelist was ministering beyond his strength and under such strenuous physical handicaps. In the future we were careful to see that he should not get involved in more services than could be properly handled. But even then it was apparent to us that Brother Branham had gone beyond his strength and really needed a long rest. Chapter 16. At the close of the Boise campaign, Brother Branham expressed himself that he was very happy over the outcome of the meetings that had been held in the Northwest, and said he felt it was God's will that in the future his meetings should continue to be conducted on the same inter-evangelical basis. He asked me if I would go to Shreveport, Louisiana to confer with Brother Moore as to the possibility of arranging other campaigns on this basis. I consented to go, for I dared give no other answer to this but an affirmative. My church again was very gracious in permitting me to go. The congregation was fortunate in securing the services of evangelist Velma Gardner during my absence and the church moved along at high tide. Indeed, Brother Gardner wished to receive a great inspiration from the campaign we later held at Eugene. Shortly after that a new ministry of healings and miracles began to follow the campaigns held by this evangelist. Whether to leave my church permanently, and follow the work that seemed providentially indicated, was becoming a matter of increasing concern to me. It was not easy to make a decision to leave those one loves, especially a church that you have seen grow from a small struggling group to a strong and vigorous assembly. God seemed to be leading, still I hesitated. Finally in prayer, God spoke directly and told me to go ahead, nothing doubting and he would see that I should be led step by step into my part of the great work he was beginning to do over the land. Once the decision was made, I never for one moment have had reason to doubt that God led me in making it. Shortly after the first of the year I arrived at Shreveport, Louisiana, and talked the entire situation over with my friend, Brother Jack Moore. Together with Young Brown we drove to Jeffersonville, Indiana, where Brother Branham was resting at his home for a few days. He seemed glad to see us, and we had an inspiring time of fellowship. There were some problems to be worked out. Previously, Brother Branham's meetings were being represented in a magazine edited by a good Christian brother in Texas. The problem that had arisen was this, Brother Branham realized that since the meetings in the Northwest his campaigns had reached a scope that believers from all the various groups were now attending. 
Any magazine that would be used in the meetings would go into the homes of all these groups. If the campaigns were to be organized on an inter-evangelical basis, it was evident that the magazine must also be of the same character. It was therefore decided that a message should be sent to the brother mentioned above, asking him if he felt free to establish his paper on an inter-evangelical basis, and, if so, then Brother Branham would continue to use that magazine as his official publication. We parted for the evening and all of us placed the matter definitely in the hands of the Lord. In the morning we met Brother Branham again, and he seemed to have received a peaceful assurance. He said that he had heard from heaven that night. We carefully listened to what he told us, and in the months which followed we indeed witnessed the exact fulfillment of those words. Events now moved swiftly. The brother previously mentioned notified us that he did not feel he was in a position to make his magazine into evangelical as had been suggested. Thus the voice of healing was born, and it fell upon the writer to become the editor. It was agreed at the time of its inception that in its pages there would be no discussion of minor matters of doctrine that might precipitate argument and confusion among the full gospel people, but it was to proclaim the message of the Great Commission, the sounding of God's last call to the unsaved, the healing of God's people, to the end of uniting them in spirit, and preparing them for Christ's coming. This policy was and is to be perpetuated forever until Jesus comes. At that time, the voice of healing was considered only as an organ of Brother Branham's own meetings. Later, because of his weakened condition, he was forced to leave the field for a considerable time, and in the providence of God, with Brother Branham's concurrence, the magazine then became the official organ of America's great healing ministries, though of course featuring Brother Branham's ministry. It is interesting to note that many of the dear brethren now represented in it, testify to the fact that their inspiration and calling to a similar ministry had its inception while they attended some of the Branham campaigns. To God be all the glory. Arrangements have been made for members of the Branham party to join at Miami, Florida, for a six-day campaign in the early part of the year. In the meantime, a strange rumor gained circulation that Brother Branham had died. It was immediately after the beginning of the new year that the rumor was first heard, and it wouldn't die down. Up and down the breadth of the land the story was told and retold. We made every effort to reassure people that the report was untrue. Still, excited persons would write, phone and telegraph were seeking confirmation. The rumor continued to persist with the date of the evangelist's supposed death being gradually advanced until the first issue of The Voice of Healing appeared in April. It was a remarkable example of the propagating power of falsehood, and we found it impossible even to trace its source. The rumor, unlike so many, was not malicious in its character. The origin of it no doubt sprang from the fact that the continuous labors of our brother, going as he had into the long hours of night, praying for the sick, had severely sapped his strength to the point that it was now noticeable to his audience. Nevertheless, God was not yet through with his servant. And although it was true that Brother Branham was to go through months of sore physical trial, he was destined to emerge the victor, with a greater ministry than ever. In Miami, the tent had been pitched far out on the outskirts of the city. No preparation for securing united support of the churches had been made, since the campaign had been scheduled at such short notice. Most any other meeting under such circumstances would have been doomed to failure. Nevertheless, word soon got around and the tent in a few days was filled to capacity. 
many wonderful miracles took place, and the altar call on Sunday afternoon witnessed hundreds of men and women coming forward to give their lives to Christ. It was while we were in Miami that Brother Branham met the noted evangelist F.F. F. Bosworth. Brother Bosworth, back in the 20s, held healing campaigns attended by great audiences. The largest number of people ever gathered under one roof in Ottawa, Canada, attended the Bosworth meetings there and some, sought the Lord for salvation. Many such campaigns took place over America and Canada and the newspapers from time to time featured stories of the marvelous miracles taking place in them. Naturally, meeting with Brother Bosworth was an interesting event to the whole party. All were particularly impressed by the sweet and godly spirit of this brother who had been so signally used of the Lord. After Brother Bosworth had attended a few of the services, he made the statement that although God had given him meetings of tremendous magnitude, he had never witnessed miracles taking place with such consistency so early in the campaign. Whereas he often had to labor for several weeks, before faith had risen sufficiently high for outstanding miracles to occur, in Brother Branham's meetings such miracles were taking place the first night. Brother Bosworth was invited to speak at one of the evening services in Miami and later he found it possible to go with the party to Pensacola and to other northern cities where Brother Branham had been scheduled to come. Aside from the success of the campaign, Brother Branham thoroughly enjoyed his stay in Miami, where in the winter the subtropical climate is quite pleasant. Wealth, magnificence, and luxury were apparent everywhere, although the sad story of sickness and suffering, striking in the homes of the rich and poor alike, was the same in that city as any other. Leaving Miami we drove northward. The balmy warmth of southern Florida gradually slipped behind us and we again were met by King Winter who was then reigning in full strength over the greater part of the broad lands of America. We had made arrangements to hold the next campaign in Pensacola. The various full gospel churches had agreed to cooperate in this campaign which was scheduled to begin in the last part of March. In the meantime, Brother Branham was to take a few weeks of rest which included a trip to Phoenix, Arizona. The rest of the party had various businesses to attend which would require some little time. At the day appointed, approximately a month later, the party arrived in Pensacola with Brother Branham to begin the meeting. This was to prove a most interesting campaign. It was not to be without mishap, for a high wind coming off the gulf struck the tent and caused some damage. One service had to be held in the local arena while repairs were made. However, under the expert direction of Reverend D.L. Welsh, one of the cooperating pastors, the tent was repaired and re-erected and the campaign continued in the Canvas Cathedral, without further interruption. The climaxing service and one never to be forgotten was on Sunday afternoon. The large tent was not only filled but many were standing on the outside as Brother Branham began to give the story of his life. When our brother relates this story he doesn't just tell it, but he relives it. And not only he but those of his audience also find themselves reliving it with him. For the space of an hour and a half, the great gathering of people was carried away as it were, as they listened with deep interest to the story of his early days of poverty and privation, his conversion and God's dealing with him, and again the tragedies in his life and finally the eventual triumphs. But never did the speaker tell this story in a more moving way than he did that afternoon. As we observed the audience, we saw strong men freely applying their handkerchiefs as copious tears streamed unashamedly down their cheeks. The writer never saw an audience more moved. Finally, 
as the evangelist brought his message to a close and the altar call was given for sinners, a most remarkable scene transpired. Apparently almost every sinner in the vast congregation stood to his feet requesting prayer that he might be saved. Various estimates of the number which responded to this one altar call were anywhere from to people. It was the greatest response in one service we had ever seen, and doubtless has been equaled few times in the history of evangelism. It was obvious at once that there was no place to accommodate such an enormous number of seekers and there was nothing else to do but to let them pray where they were standing. Can anyone present that afternoon ever forget that scene? People wept as they confessed their sins, and called upon God to have mercy on their souls. As the moments passed, here and there, those tears of repentance were turned to tears of joy and soon many shouts of victory sounded through the tent. How many names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life that afternoon, only the angels of heaven know, but it must have been a great number. Proof of the tremendous work that was done in the brief campaign, was afforded in the after-results of the meeting. One of the cooperating pastors, a year later, told us that his church had reaped a tremendous harvest from the campaign, and other local churches had gained proportionately. We felt that one of the outstanding features of the meeting, and one that we are sure contributed in a great degree to its success, was the fact of the willingness of the various churches to cooperate, and to keep in the background doctrinal differences, which in reality were minor in comparison to the great truths that all were so fully agreed upon. A number of startling miracles took place during the brief campaign, but there is not room to describe these. However, the circumstances concerning the deliverance of a violently insane man was so remarkable that we must give space to a few of the details concerning it. As has been mentioned, because strong winds had forced lowering of the tent, one service of the campaign was held in the local arena. This insane young man had been brought from a state institution to the meeting that night, to be prayed for. At the close of the service, those who had brought him tried to lead him from the building, but he refused to go. When our attention was called to this, we secured the services of a half-dozen men and took him from the building by force. So strong were the powers that possessed him, that it required no little exertion to accomplish this, but at length we had him safely seated in the automobile, so we thought, and left him, supposing that there would be no further trouble. Imagine our dismay, when a couple of minutes later there was heard a hoarse cry and turning we saw him dash from the car toward a group of women and children who were standing and talking near the door of the arena. His headlong dash occurred so suddenly and unexpectedly that we scarcely knew what to do. Fortunately, the people at the door fled in every direction before he reached them. Then furiously he turned and charged, with arms flying, toward one of the members of the Brownian party, who was standing by. Demons have power to break chains, and to do other superhuman feats but fortunately they are powerless before the name of Jesus. Though struck at time after time, the brother was not harmed or even touched, no not by a single blow. Something supernatural parried every thrust made by the demon-possessed man. How long this might have continued, it is impossible to say, but just at that moment two policemen who happened to be in the vicinity, hearing the shouts and cries of the women, rushed up, and seeing what they supposed was a common brawl, began questioning both. At this moment, however, the insane man, with fierce imprecations, charged the officers, and they soon found that they had more than their hands full. Over and over on the grass they rolled and tussled, and finally the officers had to resort to rather stem measures before they could handcuff and subdue their refractory assailant. 
A call to the police brought out a squad car, and finally the man was secured and taken to headquarters, where he was placed in a special cell for the night. After they drove away, we shall never forget the tears of the unfortunate man's sister, who had been responsible for bringing him to the meeting. She came and pleaded with us with anguish of soul that Brother Branyam would pray for him. Of course, it was impossible for Brother Branyam to respond to the multitude of calls that came daily from those who would desire him to visit sick and confined people. But so urgent and grief-stricken was the sister, that finally Brother Jack Mo consented to tell Brother Branyam about the case in the morning. The following morning, Brother Mo started to relate the story of events of the previous night to Brother Branyam. Then occurred that marvelous manifestation of the gift of the Spirit, by which our brother often witnesses events that take place at a distance, and even before they happen. We are indeed reminded of the exploits in Elisha's ministry, when he beheld the plans of the king of Syria even before they took place. Or of Christ himself, when he saw Nathanael at a distance by other than natural sight. In this case God had already shown brother Branyam this insane man, that he would pray for him that day and that the man would be healed. The scene of the deliverance was identified by him in the vision by the presence of a reappearing car, and the manner of the clothing worn by the man who would be delivered. Arrangements were then sought with the Pensacola police for the release of the young man. But they, remembering the trouble that they had had the night before, perhaps could be pardoned for their refusal to let him go unless he were taken outside of the city limits and never returned. So finally a rendezvous was arranged on the Gulf Beach where all the parties concerned would meet. But when Brother Branyam arrived and looked carefully at the cars, he made the remark that all was not what he had seen in the vision. While he hesitated, Brother Mo decided to drive his new desoto up some little distance from where the insane man was, as his daughter and another sister were in his car. Brother Branyam then got out and walked to where the young man was standing. He noticed at once that his clothing was exactly the same as what he had seen in the vision so he told him to get back in the car and wait. Then a peculiar thing happened. As Brother Branyam told it afterward, I looked back toward Brother Jack's car. Most of the beach was of white sand. But where the car had just been parked, there was a bank of red clay. The sun reflecting from the red clay on the highly polished tan caused it to appear red. I knew then that this was exactly what I had seen in the vision. I went over then and pronounced the words to the young man, this saith the Lord, the evil spirit shall leave you now, and you shall get well. Instantly the young man was delivered and entered into a normal conversation. This was an impressive testimony to the police officers of Pensacola, as they realized that God had done something wonderful in their midst. It caused many to praise God for this manifestation of his compassion for the man whom Satan had so cruelly bound. Some months later, the young man who had been delivered sent in his testimony and it appeared in an issue of the Voice of Healing. July, his testimony reads as follows, When I was two years old I had polio. My parents carried me to many different doctors. I spent some time in crippled children's hospitals. All of them did no good. I got worse all the time. Finally my condition was so bad that I became insane. I had been in the state institution nearly seven months when my people heard about Brother Branyam's healing service in Pensacola. I was carried over there and that night I was put in jail because the Lord wasn't through with me. He used me as an example to show the people that he has more power than the devil. When my sister came to see me the next morning, I was perfectly contented because God had shown Brother Branyam that he had healed my body.
I am now years old and have a good job. Thank God for his healing power. Chapter 17 The next meeting was scheduled in Kansas City, Kansas, in the Memorial Hall in the early part of April. Brother U.S. Grant was chairman of the local committee, and had made very excellent preparations for the meeting. We arrived about 8 o'clock in the evening, and drove immediately to Brother Grant's residence. He was glad to see us, but expressed some anxiety concerning Brother Branham, who he said had not yet arrived, though he had received communication that he would be there earlier in the day. Reverend Grant said he knew that he had not arrived as only he had knowledge of the location of the hotel where we were to stay this being always of necessity a closely guarded secret. On one occasion when the location of Brother Branham's hotel became known to the public, a long line of sick formed at his door, seriously disrupting the business of the hotel. We ourselves were just a trifle disturbed as we knew that Brother Branham should have arrived by this time. But there was nothing to do but await further word, and we ourselves went to the hotel. We were not a little surprised when we learned from the night clerk that he had arrived and had already retired. When later we asked how it had happened that he had not gone to Brother Grant's place first, his reply was that he had been very tired and thought that perhaps it best to go to bed early and get as good a rest as possible. But we said, how did you know to come to this hotel? Well, he said, I just seemed to know. That was all the satisfaction we could get, and perhaps all he could give us. We were not too surprised, as time after time we had similar experiences when his perception reached out and he knew things that did not come to him through the avenues of his five senses. We shall not forget how nonplussed Brother Grant was when we told him what had happened. We do not wish to give the impression, however, that Brother Branham had the ability to use this gift at will, but only at such times as the Spirit of God would specially move upon him for its manifestation. The first night of the meeting, some were present at the memorial hall. Sunday night was an outstanding service. The third night the Spirit of God was manifest in unusual power. Some reporters were present that night. Their report published in the conservative Kansas City Times, April, appeared the following morning. Although written in newspaper style we considered the write-up, on the whole, a fair appraisal of the service. A few paragraphs of the report was as follows, amid Ammons of the congregation, the Reverend William Branham, of Jeffersonville, Indiana, conducted the third of a series of five healing meetings at the Memorial Hall in Kansas City, Kansas. Whatever you ask God to do, he will do, Mr. Branham said. No matter how near death you are from sickness, he can cure you, even now, if you will just take God at his word. A score of ailing persons crossed the stage last night and professed to have been cured of various illnesses after Mr. Branham had prayed briefly with them. The audience was moved. There were tears in the eyes of many and their lips moved as in prayer. Some mothers sobbed as they rocked restless babies in their arms. One girl from Mobile, Alabama, said her eyes were crossed when she went on the stage last night, but after Brother Branham had prayed her eyes were normal and clear. Another woman held up her hand and said a goiter had just disappeared from her neck. She said she had had the goiter for years and that a year and a half ago a physician told her only an operation would remove it. The next service the auditorium was packed to the doors as was also the last night of the brief campaign. A number of interesting incidents occurred during the Kansas City campaign. One lady came to the writer and told how she had been ill from a serious affliction, but hadn't been able to get in the prayer line, because of the great number of people. Nevertheless, her faith rose, 
and that night in the hotel she awoke her husband and said that she believed if she could only get in the prayer line at once, she would be healed. Her husband, a little startled, finally deciding that she was dreaming, told her to go ahead. However, in the morning, the woman awoke to find herself perfectly well. She remembered her dream, as did her husband. The next evening she hurried forward to inform us of what had taken place. The lady had made a contact of faith, and that was all that was necessary to get her healing. Doctors often attend the Branium meetings. On the day following the close of the campaign, one of the leading physicians of the metropolitan area came to the room where we were. He was a Christian gentleman, and we can never forget how he laid his hand upon Brother Branium's shoulder and invoked a blessing upon him. Before he left he asked prayer for a certain ailment with which he had been afflicted, that medical practice could not cure. Brother Branium gladly prayed for him. Next we went to Sedalia, Missouri, where we held three days of services. Brother and Baxter of Vancouver, B.C. joined us at this point and was the afternoon speaker, with Brother F.F. F. Bosworth speaking in the morning services. Reverend Bird Campbell, an enterprising pastor was chairman of the local committee, and did a very efficient job. The local armory seating from where the meetings were held, proved to be entirely too small, and large crowds were unable to enter. People sat everywhere, in the windows, doors, and aisles and many unable to get in at all, stood on the outside looking in. The last campaign in the East at this time was held in the famous Watch Center of Elgin which is located in the suburbs of Chicago. The auditorium seating about was hopelessly inadequate to accommodate the crowds that came. In fact, after the first day or so the afternoon crowds completely filled the place. We shall permit Reverend Merrill Johnson chairman of the local committee to tell the story of the Elgin campaign, this has been my second occasion to attend the Branium meetings. It is my firm conviction that in many ways this meeting excelled my first experience. As someone so aptly put it, never since the days of the great Chicago fire has Elgin and its surrounding cities been so mightily stirred. For days after the meetings came to a close, the subject seemed to be on the lips of everyone. A great realization has also come to the Christians for the need of more men like Brother Branham. Reports, however, do indicate that God is increasing within the ranks of the Church of Jesus Christ in these last days more men with this ministry of healing. The Spirit of God is undoubtedly rapidly preparing the Church for its great exodus to glory. That must be very soon. One cannot attend the Branium meetings without a sense of feeling what it must have been like to be living in the days of the Apostles. Words fail to describe the sudden burst of ecstasy and inexpressible awe that grips the people who for their first time experience the power of God to heal and perform miracles. What words can describe the experience of witnessing blind eyes being opened, deaf ears unstopped, the dumb speaking their first words, the cripples walking, crossed eyes straightened, and many other glorious sights. The sweet unassuming and lovable character of Brother Branham so vividly portrays the Spirit of Christ that dominates his life. To see Brother Branham's great love for children would touch even the hardest of persons. For seldom would a child with crossed eyes, blind, deaf or crippled pass by Brother Branham without his arms embracing them and beseeching God to perform a miracle in their little bodies. And in every instance to my knowledge God granted our brother's prayer with a miracle. The meeting in Elgin seems to have taken on the nature of many great camp meetings rolled into one. The throngs which came from all over the United States and Canada literally rocked this city. 
it reminded one of reading in the scriptures of the throngs that pressed about Christ in the days of his earthly ministry. Another significant feature of the Brownian meetings in Elgin was the congregational singing and special numbers. Faith sought to new heights and the blessings of God descended on the people as they worshipped the Christ in song. Many received their healings in their seats and surrendered their prayer cards without going through the prayer fines. Some of these were in the miraculous. The special singing and music rendered by the students from the Great Lakes Bible Institute at Zion, and other visiting evangelistic parties, deeply enriched the meetings. The cooperation from all who served to make the meetings a success was so characteristic of this great spiritual meeting. All the members of the committee found it pleasant to work with the Brownian party. Few meetings of such intensity are conducted so smoothly and with such general approval. The next scheduled meeting was at Tacoma, Washington. Because of a snowstorm in the Rockies, Brother Branham did not get to Tacoma in time for the first service. Nevertheless, there was a great expectancy, and the following night the crowd was even larger. A great problem presented itself at the beginning of the meeting. It was early spring and the ice arena had no heating facilities. The use of an unheated building for religious services was almost unthinkable in the area that time of the year. The only solution to the problem would be that sufficient people should attend so that the vast arena would be heated by their own body warmth. This, indeed, was what actually happened. Some people filled the building and the temperature was found to be very comfortable. One of the notable features of the Tokoma meeting was the fact that the ministers of so many churches had united in a full gospel fellowship. It was wonderful and glorious. In some cities there has been a tendency for one church to be suspicious of the other, and there is no real spirit of fellowship. The Tokoma brethren showed by their willingness to work together that all would be blessed in return. The result has been that perhaps in no other city in the United States, has there been a more powerful testimony of the full gospel message than in that community. During the noon luncheon, Brother Branham spoke to the ministers concerning some things that were on his heart. It was a solemn and impressive hour, and not a few tears fell down the faces of those who listened. Incidentally, a remark was overheard between some brethren sitting there at the luncheon, which we felt was typical of the reaction of many who attend the Branham meetings. Said one to the other, when this meeting is over, and while these wonderful things are fresh in my mind, I want to get away a few days, and be alone with God. There is no doubt but that the city became God-conscious in a remarkable way. The Youth for Christ leader gave a wonderful testimony of how he had been affected by the meeting. Some high-ranking officers on the police force gave their testimony of how the meeting had blessed them. From Tacoma the party traveled south to Eugene, where the last campaign of the Branham party was conducted, after which it became necessary for Brother Branham to return to his home for a protracted rest. We take the report of the meeting as it appeared in the July issue of the Voice of Healing and written by Rev. Arthur Hilland. For five days Rev. William Brownium conducted a healing campaign in Eugene, Oregon. The first service and the one on Saturday were held in the Lighthouse Temple. The other meetings were held in the Armory Building. Capacity crowds filled both places. Ministers and churches over a wide area cooperated in the campaign. One of the great features of the meeting was the fact that people of many churches became as one during the days of the campaign. Outstanding miracles of healing took place during the five days. Mrs. Gordon Lindsay, wife of the editor, took special notes of people after they were prayed for. One little girl had a short leg. After she was prayed for, 
Brother Branham had her walk back and forth on the platform and no appearance of a limp could be detected. The mother told Mrs. Lindsay that the leg had been an inch and a half shorter than the other. In one of the services, a person with crutches sat at the back of the auditorium. The man had not been able to get into the healing line. While the crowd was going out somebody said to him, Oh, you didn't get your healing. The man replied, single quote why yes, I have it now. With that he threw away his crutches and began to walk. People shouted and praised God as they saw him healed and delivered. Reverend F.F. F. Bosworth assisted in the Eugene campaign and God's blessing was mightily upon him as he ministered the word of faith to the congregation. Reverend Gordon Lindsay was also speaker at the services. It is customary to give a report from one of the local pastors working in the meetings, so the following is an excerpt from a letter received from Reverend Arthur Hilland, a secretary of the minister's group that sponsored the Branham campaign in Eugene, Oregon. I want to thank God for Brother Branham and the wonderful results brought about by his ministry here. That ministry had done more toward bringing complete harmony, not only among the pastors but with the lay members of the churches of Springfield and Eugene which took part in the great meetings, than anything else ever did. In this meeting, Brother Branham was so exhausted that anyone could see he was going to the very limit of his strength. Many were healed of all kinds of afflictions and diseases. Two large goiters disappeared right before my eyes, as well as a cancer on a lady's face. A girl's leg which had been shorter than the other, was lengthened. One Catholic lady who had been an invalid for years was healed of cancer, raised up from her bed, walked out of the building, and has been doing all her work since. Many other healings took place for which we give God all the praise. Chapter 18 After the wonderful deliverance from the nervous condition, Brother Branham, as the year drew to a close, again returned to the field for a series of brief campaigns. The writer was able to be in some of these meetings for a night or so, but commitments made it impossible to rejoin the party immediately. Incidentally, the Voice of Healing magazine had grown so rapidly that a very considerable amount of our time was required with it as within a year the publication was being read by nearly, readers each month. This remarkable growth continued unabated through the second year, with the circulation more than doubling. In November, Brother Jack Moore and the writer received a communication from Reverend Branham, asking if it were possible for us again to take over the direction of his campaigns. And also, could we with Reverend Baxter make the trip overseas with him to Scandinavia the following spring? It so happened in the providence of God that we had just succeeded in fulfilling certain other obligations, and after prayer and consideration we felt, God willing, we should accept this call. From a personal standpoint we have always considered it a great privilege to work with Reverend Branham. Brother Branham informed us that he had only one meeting scheduled at that time that was in Houston, Texas. He wanted us to go to Houston and then after that take charge of all further arrangements. As I was engaged in the task of preparing this book for publication and needed to be near him during the time, I consented to go to Houston. The Houston meeting started a little slowly. However, before it was over some very remarkable things had transpired. It became apparent that our brother's ministry had, in some ways, developed greatly. Not only were the peculiar gifts of the Spirit which had been previously manifested in his ministry functioning with increased power, but a new manifestation was evident. In the working of this new gift, past events in the lives of people who came for healing, were revealed. This was manifest in two ways. If those who came for healing were devout Christians, 
things were told them of their past life which would greatly encourage their faith, so that in many instances they would be healed without one word of prayer. On the other hand, those who had slipped into the prayer line without seeking right relations with God, or who were living careless backsliden lives, and had committed sins which had not been sincerely confessed to God, these were dealt with by the Spirit of God, right on the platform. Sins would be called out, secrets of their hearts revealed, and in practically every instance individuals so dealt with would immediately make a broken and tearful confession. Usually then, the person would receive healing on the spot. About midway in the Houston campaign, a very remarkable thing occurred that proved to be a divine vindication of Brother Branham's ministry. A certain hostile clergyman who opposed divine healing, denounced the remarks of Reverend F. F. Bosworth who spoke during many of the day services and issued a public challenge through the newspapers, to debate with Reverend Bosworth on the subject of divine healing through the atonement. Reverend Bosworth felt led to accept the challenge, and the whole matter was given front-page publicity in the Houston newspapers. On the evening appointed as the meeting got underway, it was quite apparent that the sympathy of the vast audience was almost entirely on the side of the visiting evangelists. Large numbers of the members of the very denomination of the opposing clergymen, stood to their feet as witnesses that they believed in divine healing and had in fact been healed. This sentiment became increasingly evident throughout the service. Now it so happened that the opposing clergyman had secured the services of Mr. James Ayres and Mr. Ted Kipperman, professional photographers who were to take a series of pictures of him while he was speaking. Incidentally, the photographer after taking these shots, secured a picture of Reverend Branham, who spoke briefly just before the service closed. When Mr. Ayres, one of the photographers, went that same night to the dark room of his studio, he decided to develop the negatives that had been exposed. To his surprise every one of the negatives turned out to be absolutely blank with the exception of the one which had been taken of Reverend Branham. His surprise turned to amazement when he noticed that on this negative, immediately over the head of Reverend Branham, was apparently a supernatural halo of light. Mr. Ayres called the others of the studio to look at the negative. But when they did so, each was equally puzzled and no one could explain the presence of this halo. The following morning the photographer sent word to Reverend Branham to inform him of the strange phenomenon that had occurred in connection with the photograph he had taken the night before. Brother Branham then explained to the young man that he was not greatly surprised over the circumstances, as a number of times before, similar things had happened in his ministry. For example, while at Camden, Arkansas, a photographer had snapped a picture of him and when the film was developed it was found that a strange light encircled him, which, the photographer pointed out, could not be accounted for by the lights in the building. Many other such things had occurred in his ministry. The photograph taken at Houston was without a doubt the most outstanding and spectacular of these supernatural manifestations, because of the unique circumstances under which the photograph had been taken. The same morning that the photographer brought the news of the strange phenomenon which appeared on the photograph, the Houston newspapers carried full reports of the service on their front pages. Of course, at this time the newspapers had heard nothing yet about the photograph. It is interesting to note that Mr. Ayres, one of the photographers who had been secured by the opposing clergyman, himself had made skeptical remarks which remarks were included in the reports by the newspapers. That the picture should come from this photographer makes the whole matter the more astonishing, and confirms its absolute authenticity, if indeed any more evidence were needed. 
Below we include some greatly condensed reports of the meeting as they appeared that morning in the Houston newspapers, they lay on cots under the glare of the great lights of Sam Houston Coliseum Tuesday night the lame, the sick, the infirm, the ones whose hopes for physical health had almost gone. They lay there quietly, some of them uncomprehendingly, as the theological argument swirled about and above them. For it was they who Reverend F. F. Bosworth, an out-of-town evangelist, said could be cured of their infirmities by the divine healing power passed on through Reverend William Branham, Reverend Mr. Bosworth's partner. But Reverend W. E. Best, pastor of the Houston Tabernacle Baptist Church, contended that any such miraculous healing had ceased with the apostles. And he challenged Reverend Mr. Bosworth to prove otherwise. Reverend Mr. Bosworth, amid cheers and shouts of Amen from the audience of, quoted numerous passages from various sources, which, he said, proved that Christ died not only for the sins of man, but for physical sickness also. Over and over again he quoted a Bible passage, Christ took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Each time he repeated it the crowds sent up a great shout, and faint smiles broke out on the faces of some of those lying on the cots. The audience could hear Reverend Mr. Best's rapid-fire sermon, and they didn't like everything they heard. They didn't like it when he said, I deny that any man living today has the power and the gift to heal as the apostles did. From the Houston Press, Jan. Closing parenthesis The Reverend Raymond T. Richet appealed to the audience to give each speaker a polite hearing. When you agree with the speaker, say, Amen, and when you disagree, say, No, he asked. For nearly four hours, the Coliseum rocked with Ammons and Noes. When the Reverend Best made a point, the Reverend Bosworth would rush to the microphone on the stage from which the speakers held forth and dramatically ask those in the audience who had been cured through faith to stand. Each time hundreds would rise. How many of you are Baptists? The Reverend Bosworth shouted. At least stood up. No man has the power to heal. Declared the Reverend Best. To Mrs. W. E. Wilbanks of Teach Sean, the Reverend Best misrepresented the slight, black-haired evangelist who has been preaching to crowds of nightly. I'm a Baptist myself, said Mrs. Wilbanks. Brother Branyan does not claim the power of divine healing. It is simply that faith and the Spirit of God working through him heal people. Reverend Best is misrepresenting Baptist sentiment in attacking Reverend Branyan. Ordinarily, the way the miracle cures are developed, Persons in the audience fill out cards which bear a number and their name. The Reverend Branham picks a number and prays for the cure of that person. Occasionally, he selects a person at random. Those attending are informed that it is possible they won't be reached during the evening for an individual prayer but they come, night after night, hoping that their turn will arrive. Mrs. Mary Georgia Hardy, Columbia, said she was reborn three years ago but that she first experienced the wonders of faith healing years ago. After the birth of my second child, I was a nervous wreck, but faith healing made me well and I've had two children since, said Mrs. Hardy, who attends the Assembly of God Church at Forth and Ashland in the Heights. Sitting next to her, Mrs. Gray Walker of Blodgett, pointed to her 40-year-old grandchild, Diane Cox. Diane was born with a club foot. A doctor wanted to put the foot in a cast but our Assembly of God pastor, the Reverend J.C. Minor, suggested we try prayer. We did. Gradually over a period of weeks the foot straightened out. Diane is well now. One week ago, during a general prayer by Reverend Branham, Mrs. W. E. Miller, who lives on the Genoa Almeda Road, 
were suddenly cured of chronic sinus trouble, she said. I was simply praying for others when it happened. When the Reverend Best shouted there were those who used sorcery to bewitch people, so that people are sincerely misled and say it's the power of God, James Ayres, a commercial photographer of Rusk, agreed. Brownian puts on a show, said Mr. Ayres. Somehow he never gets around to the cripples and the persons who have arthritis. He simply hypnotizes his audience. After conferring with Reverend Branyam, the writer arranged for the negative to be turned over to Mr. George Lacey, considered the greatest authority on questioned documents in that area. Mr. Lacey then submitted the negative to exhaustive scientific tests. Reverend Branyam was certain that the negative was genuine but considered it wise to have absolute scientific proof of its genuineness. After a most thorough examination, Mr. Lacey gave a certified statement that every test showed that the negative was absolutely genuine, and had not been doctored or retouched or been given a double exposure of any kind. Reverend Branyam then gave the studio's permission to reproduce copies of the photograph. He insisted, however, that he would take nothing personally from the returns of its sale, though he would permit a certain percentage to be given for overseas missionary enterprises in which he was interested. Another remarkable development in connection with the phenomenon that appeared on the photograph was the fact that independent testimonies came in from various people, collaborating the fact that the supernatural light appeared over Brother Branyam's head. Some of these testimonies came from those who at the time had not yet learned about the photograph. A typical one is from Mrs. Grace Corsi, R.T. Box, Cleveland, Texas, who tells her Catholic who witnessed the light, was converted by it. I was sweeping the floor the other morning when a car came into the driveway at our home on a farm miles north of Houston. Being somewhat embarrassed at the strewn state of my house, I said, by way of explaining to the strangers, that I worked in Cleveland as a Celeste lady six days of the week, and had been attending the Branium revival many nights, so had not time to straighten my house. The man, a stranger to me, had come in answer to an advertisement of our farm for sale. When I mentioned the Branyam revival, his countenance lighted up and he said, We have been there, too. This is what his wife told us, Mr. Becker, the stranger, had been suffering with a terrible stomach condition, violent cramping, etc. He took medicine every night. His wife's mother read in the Houston paper about Branyam and his God-given gifts of healing, and she asked Mrs. Becker to ask her husband to go and be prayed for. Mrs. Becker doubted that he would go since he was a Catholic. She told him about it and he said he would go. Mrs. Becker was greatly disappointed when they arrived at the Houston Coliseum and found the Baptist preacher. She is a member of the Baptist Church debating with Brother Bosworth. She feared that her husband would not believe after seeing this. Instead of being driven away from belief, Mr. Becker stated to us, I saw a light around Reverend Branyam's head when he was standing there on the stage after the debate. It was not a flash bulb, it was a halo about his bead. When Brother Branyam gave the altar call, Mr. Becker, who had always professed very staunchly that he was saved, went up to accept Christ. His wife, thinking he had misunderstood, asked him if he understood the proposition that had been made. He replied, Certainly I do. He automatically quit the habit of using God's name in vain. Mr. Becker went to the two o'clock service next day and received a prayer card. His number was not called that night but he was instantly healed in the mass prayer call. I did not know when I came here tonight to be in the service and tell this, that a photographer had taken a picture of Brother Branyam that same night that Mr. Becker, 
the Catholic man, had seen the light around his head and believed he was sent of God with a gift of healing. From Houston the Brownian party went to Beaumont, a city some 80 miles west. After the first night the city auditorium overflowed with people, and on the second night, two policemen and seven firemen were required to enforce the city laws governing safety regulations in the building. Raymond T. Richet chartered a train of eleven coaches which carried people from Houston to Beaumont to attend the Monday night service. Only part of them could find room in the reserved section. Auditorium officials relented and permitted several hundred who could not get into the building to stand on the back of the platform during the meeting. One of the interesting features of the campaign was the luncheon which nearly 100 ministers and their wives attended. Brother Branham spoke to them briefly from his heart. He said that God had commissioned him to give a special message to all believers, that they should forget their differences, and unite themselves in oneness of mind and heart in preparation for the soon coming of Christ. All that were present gave solemn heed to what he said, as it was evident that these words were the words of a prophet. During the Beaumont campaign some came forward to confess Christ. About had responded to the altar calls in Houston. So that during those thirty days, nearly had confessed Christ as their Savior. From Beaumont we went to Little Rock, Arkansas. Again we were told a familiar story. Little Rock, spiritually, was a city so divided that it would be impossible to hold a great union meeting there. It had been tried before, but always failure had resulted. We were told to prepare ourselves for disappointment. The campaign started in the middle of the week. But by Saturday, lo, the Robinson Memorial Auditorium was completely full. On the last night, which was Monday, the doors were shut at p.m. and it was estimated at least people were turned away. At noon on the last day, a special luncheon, at which over ministers and their wives gathered, breathed a spirit of unity and fellowship that a week before no one dreamed would be possible. Of interest were testimonies of those who had been healed when Brother Branham was there some three years before. One man thrilled the audience with his testimony. For years he had been on crutches. Then when Brother Branham had prayed for him, he threw them away and walked unaided. He had been without them ever since that time. One incident was of singular interest to Brother Moore and the writer. At the close of one of the services, as we were leaving the stage, a mother stopped and pleaded with us to pray for her little boy who was about five years of age and who was a deaf mute. She said she feared that Brother Branham would not be able to get to him. Brother Moore looked at me and said, let's pray for him. After prayer we took him to the piano and satisfied ourselves that he could hear the music and then walked off the stage. The next evening, during the healing service, we looked and lo, the same woman and little boy came for prayer. She had secured a card which were given by Lot, and decided to use it, thinking that it would do no harm to bring the boy in the line again. Brother Moore and I naturally were intensely interested to know what Brother Branham would say to her as the Spirit of God spoke through him. As he looked at the child he said, Mother, your child has been deaf, which of course was correct. Then he looked again and said words to this effect. Someone who has faith in God prayed for your child last night. Your child is delivered. You can imagine the effect that this had upon the woman. It was true the child was hearing, and although at this youthful age, when testing the degree of the hearing is always difficult, yet he had already begun to show the fact of his deliverance by imitating various sounds. The demonstration had a great effect upon the congregation. It was plain that God was speaking, not man, and also that man was not the healer but the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Afterwards we talked to Brother Branham about the incident. He just barely remembered the circumstances. God had spoken through him and revealed that someone had prayed for the child but had not revealed who had prayed. That was unimportant. What was important was that God had done the work, and to him was due all the glory. Months later we received a letter from the mother of the child confirming the healing. This was printed in the Voice of Healing. From Little Rock, we held two days services at El Dorado and two at Camden. Of Brother Branham, we have only this to say. The scriptures in describing John the Baptist said, there was whose name was John. We believe this statement can also apply to our beloved brother, William Branham. Chapter 19. In recent years, few consecrated ministers of the gospel have received much favorable publicity from the press. What they have received, if any, has usually been of a derogatory character. Nevertheless, many newspapers have taken time and space to describe, often favorably, the healing campaigns of William Branham. It would be too much to expect that every newspaper would give sympathetic reports. Often reporters who attend such meetings come with their minds already made up, and stay only long enough to draw up an extremely sketchy report, which they intersperse with a worldly wise and subtly cynical ridicule. However, it appears that in the Branham campaigns, interest has been of such an intense nature, the reporters have stayed in the services long enough to become at least partially convinced of what they have seen and heard. In a number of cases, a very generous and fair account of the meetings has been given. Only occasionally has a report appeared completely skeptical. In this chapter we shall give sketches of the Branham meetings, from accounts appearing in various newspapers of United States and Canada. The first one appearing below was published in the Walkagan Mission of March. During the three days Reverend Branham has preached, scores have claimed to have been healed. Every case of crossed eyes which was prayed for was straightened before prayer ceased. Many cripples and badly twisted bodies were straightened and deaf people were able to hear. At last night's service, a young boy paralyzed in arms, legs and back, twisted out of shape was brought by his mother from Bunsenville, Illinois, and was prayed for. Immediately after prayer, he walked straight and steadily from the platform without aid. Two women, who had been entirely blind with cataracts for two years, were healed at the same service. After being led to the platform then prayed for, the first was able to see and walk and as her husband said, even those bloodshot veins in her eyes were cleared up. The same reporter, Fanny Wilson, writing in the Community News, a paper representing several cities north of Chicago, at Dateline March, said, the main difference between Reverend William Branham and most everyone else is, to them the Bible is ancient history. To him it is just as vital and positive a force now as in the days of Jesus of Nazareth. What makes the story different is that Reverend William Branham proceeds to prove his contention. Not that he contends. Far from it. Reverend Branham is more humble than all the humble men you have ever seen put together. Can you imagine a white man, born in Kentucky? lifting a little cross-eyed negro child from Market Street, walk again, in his arms and saying, Daughter, be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. And her eyes have become straight, even as many others had, during this service of healing and revival meetings held in the Grace Missionary Church. Among those prayed for Monday night was a prominent walk again physician. During the Monday night service alone, nine people were healed after being born deaf and dumb. Most of these were born in this community or were known here previous to their healing. One of these deaf mutes was healed of blindness also. All became able to speak, 
although the sounds were similar in tonal quality to those of a child. They also seemed surprised to hear their own voices. One man who had come from Iowa had a cancer on his leg from the knee to the ankle, which disappeared immediately after prayer. In last night's meeting children with paralysis, spastics and those suffering from mental deficiency recovered after prayer. Many important and respected people of Lake County heard and saw Brother Branham diagnose numerous diseases. Most of all, the individual for whom he was to pray saw the effect of the disease created on the minister's left hand, until the illness was stopped after his prayer. The audience was reminded many times by the speaker that he himself did not have the power to perform these healings, but that they were acts of God through the faith of the individual prayed for. From the August issue of the Albertan, Calgary, Canada, we take the following report, a panorama of human emotions was unveiled by some citizens who packed Victoria Pavilion Wednesday night to witness or receive help from William Branham of Jeffersonville, Indiana, in his faith healing campaign. The U.S. minister's reputation of having helped to heal over, people of blindness, lameness, cancer, polio, TB, and other sicknesses since he was imparted the gift of divine healing about a year ago attracted men, women and children of every walk of life. One of the first in the prayer line was a Mr. Andre of Edmonton, who said he was suffering from a protrusion of the disc in the spine. He claimed to have been to scores of doctors in Western Canada, and also to the Mayo brothers at Rochester. They said that an operation of the spine was necessary, he stated. Then Andre, who told the Albertan he could not remember when he was last able to touch his toes without bending at the knees, was approached by single quote the divine healer. Taking Andre's right hand in his left hand, Branham described the man's ailment, and after prayer, told him to bend over and touch his toes. Andre did so, without bending his knees. A gasp went up from the huge throng, and with a rush of voices, the crowd gave vent to their combined surprise and admiration. The Edmonton man, racked with emotion, breathed a simple thanks to the minister before rushing to the microphone to tell the audience how doctors had told him an operation would be necessary for his back. The minister claimed to have a mysterious vibration in his left hand by which he was able to distinguish cancer, TB, and other germs. From the August issue of the Saskatoon's to Phoenix, Canada, we take the following report, Miss M.B. who spent 10 years in school for the deaf here and in Winnipeg, said, Daddy and Mama, quite clearly after she had been prayed for by Reverend William Branham, in the Apostolic Church Wednesday evening where persons had gathered to witness healing through faith. Miss B., interviewed by the Stephenix Friday, said that she could hear quite well with her right ear but the left ear was still deaf. She believed that she would be able to speak normally within a short time. Her landlady said that she had been saying good morning and goodbye, something she had not done in the three months she had been staying with her. While the congregation sat still with bowed beads, the hundred people to be cured filed past Mr. Branham as he prayed for them each in turn. The congregation was told that entire belief and reverence were necessary, and all must bow their heads. Those who did not were asked to leave the church. Prior to Mr. Branham's arrival, the congregation heard from other speakers who told of the marvelous work already being done through faith. One woman testified that she had been prayed for and the following morning her one deaf ear was again normal, and several other minor ailments have vanished. One of the speakers mentioned a woman from Regina, who had been able to bear only a liquid diet for months, but the morning following prayer for her, she arose and enjoyed a normal breakfast.
from Brother Branham's hometown, the Jeffersonville Post issue of November. We take the following, a crowd Sunday night divide with the annual game between the Jeffersonville Red Devils and the New Albany Bulldogs attended the Branham Tabernacle, at 8th and Penn Streets, overflowed and stood in the rain to hear via loudspeakers, divine moving manifestations of the Reverend William Branham, whose healing miracles are known internationally. From authentic sources comes the report of the healing of two cancer patients, who were told of a deathly sickness and recovery within 90 days. A person told to walk who had been confined to a wheelchair for 18 years. Of another carried to the church on an ambulance stretcher. Of the death made to hear, all by a man who heals by the laying on of his right hand in the name of his divine maker. According to many, the day of miracles has not yet passed even in Jeffersonville. From a struggling young man, who worked on a job during the day, and proclaimed the gospel on Sunday, his own faith was such to surmount all obstacles. He still suffers ridicule in some instances in his hometown, from scoffers, who should do him honor as one chosen by the supreme being to carry on his work. Although not educated, as education is considered today, he has the ability and earnest fervor necessary in the presentation of the gospel. His divine healing power today is known internationally. From Jeffersonville he will travel to Louisiana, Houston, Texas, possibly Jamaica, and then overseas. Many other newspapers, including the Chicago Daily Times, the Chicago Daily News, the St. Louis Star Times, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, carried interesting and even lengthy reports of the Brownian meetings, the latter paper giving almost a full page. Not all of these reports were written as endorsements of the campaigns. Yet most of them at least were not hostile, and some, as far as newspapers go, were favorably impressed. In most cases, where the reporter had opportunity to actually witness the demonstration of cases healed, he was convinced that there was a supernatural power being manifest in the meetings. Although Reverend Branham claims to have received the gift some months ago, he said in the interview that it was the first time he had ever had the opportunity to tell his story directly to the reporters. Many daily services take up so much of my time that the church managers have asked me to refuse interviews with newspapers. They always have said, you have so many seeking aid through your prayers. To publicize your presence through the papers would only add to the overcrowded prayer lines, they explained. A visit to the Bible Hour Tabernacle on East Matthews will bear out his statement that his claims need no publicity. Last week the prayer lines, in which he prayed individually with the sick, paralyzed, deaf, dumb and blind, were held twice daily. This week three services are held each day. And he will never be able to get through the long list before the meeting closes Monday. People are pouring into town daily to beg for just one minute with Reverend Branham. One day this week a bus loaded with persons from Fulton, Kentucky, was present. The same day a chartered plane brought in a year-old ex-GI, swollen horribly from cancer, which was sapping his life. Wednesday, Reverend Branham flew to Eldorado on a whirlwind trip to pray for a person who was reported near death. Residents of at least states in Mexico have visited Jonas Bra since Reverend Branham opened the camp meeting June. They represent states from California to New Jersey, Michigan and Wisconsin to Florida, Wyoming to Texas and on down to Mexico, the Sun reporter was told. The tremendous turnouts have overflowed local tourist courts and many private homes nightly. Also a special dormitory has been set up in the rear of the church. Reverend Branham says, I am just a man. I have no power of healing. 
Jesus Christ is the only one that can heal. I pray to him to heal those that believe. No one can be healed who does not have faith in Jesus Christ, he explained. Detecting the type of ailment of those coming to him is another power claimed by Reverend Branham. When they put their hand in my left band, I receive vibrations caused by the germs in the person. I can usually tell what the disease is. When the disease leaves the person, the vibrations stop, he stated. When Reverend Branham completes a prayer for a person, he usually finishes by saying, I adjure thee by Jesus Christ, leave this person. Reverend Branham began a rigorous schedule last summer in St. Louis. He came to Jonasbury next, visited Pine Bluff and Camden, then went to Houston and on to the West Coast. He will fly to California next week to administer to an Arminian. Since his October visit, Reverend Branham has shown the effects of the daily routine. He has lost pounds and his eyes are very hollow and deep set. I have to keep my place of residence a secret in order to get any sleep at all, he said smiling. The total attendance for the services during the two weeks period is likely to surpass that, marked by Sunday, church officials state. For two days this Sun representative attended the afternoon services and spent a morning listening to Reverend Branham's story. Milling through the masses, talking to numerous people from widely scattered areas, not one skeptic was encountered. Many told stories that hardly seemed possible. For instance, M. M. Funk, a shoe builder from Zima, Missouri, said he had not walked for five years and five months until he attended a service conducted by Reverend Branham at Camden, January. I lay in a hospital for nine months after falling and injuring my spine, while doing some carpentry work. Doctors told me that I would never walk again, and for five years and five months I didn't. I know it's hard to believe, but Brother Branyan prayed for me and I got up and walked immediately. And I can walk just as good as you or anybody else today, he said. C.C. Shepard, pastor of the Pentecostal Church of St. Charles near DeWitt, showed to the assembly Monday afternoon, a calloused wad of skin-like substance which he said was a cancer which had plagued him for years. He was prayed for by Reverend Branham on Tuesday last week. He said the cancer on his neck, the result of a razor cut, was red when he went on the platform, but immediately began to turn dark. It just got black, dried up and came out, he said. He had a deep pit in his neck where the growth had been. Mrs. Hattie Wildrop, who said her husband owned a plumbing shop at North, Phoenix, Arizona, came all the way to Jonasbury to testify that Reverend Branham had brought her back from the dead. My pulse had stopped completely. I was suffering from cancer of the colon, heart and liver trouble with no hope of getting well, when Brother Branham prayed for me on March. Today I am well and healthy, she told the reporters. Writers note, I have talked personally with this woman and her husband and I know her testimony to be true. Chapter 20 for more than 30 years during great evangelistic campaigns, I have overworked, praying for the sick and afflicted. During 14 years of this time, we conducted the National Radio Revival during which time we received about a quarter of a million letters, most of them containing prayer requests from sick and suffering people who could not have recovered without the direct action of the Holy Spirit in response to the prayer of faith. We have received multiplied thousands of unsolicited testimonies from those who have been miraculously healed of every bodily affliction I know anything about, including leprosy. To God be all the glory because these results are impossible to anyone but Him. As a result of these miracles, many thousands have been joyfully converted, 
whom we would have missed had we not preached the healing part of the gospel once a week in all our evangelistic campaigns. Because this healing ministry has required labor beyond human strength, we have prayed, oh so earnestly for God to raise up more laborers to help in this so greatly neglected phase of ministry. And during the past two years I have often wept for joy over God's recent gift to the church of our beloved brother William Branham with his marvelous gifts of healing. This is a case of God doing exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, if, for I have never seen or read of anything to equal the healing ministry of William Branham. On May, an angel who had spoken to Brother Branham in audible voice at intervals from his childhood down to the present time, finally appeared to him and, among other things, told him that Christ's coming was near at hand, and the heavenly messenger said, I am sent from the presence of Almighty God to tell you that God has sent you to take a gift of healing to the peoples of the world. On page of the Schofield Bible, Dr. C.I. Schofield, D.D., in his footnote on angels says, though angels are spirits. Heb. Power is given them to become visible in the semblance of human form, general, and many other scriptures in both the Old and New Testaments. In Exod. God said to Moses, Behold I send an angel before thee, to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place I have prepared. And in general, we read, single quote the Lord, will send his angel with thee, and prosper thy way. This is exactly what God has done for Brother Branham. He does not begin to pray for the healing of the afflicted in body in the healing line each night, until God anoints him for the operation of the gift, and until he is conscious of the presence of the angel with him on the platform. Without this consciousness, he seems to be perfectly helpless. Now notice, that God not only sent an angel to be with Moses, he also gave him two perfect miracles as signs and proofs to the people that God had appeared to him and commissioned him, under divine guidance, to be their deliverer. Exod. The first sign was that of Moses' rod becoming a serpent, and the second sign was that of putting his hand in his bosom and having it become as leprous as snow, etc. God said to Moses, It shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, they will believe the voice of the latter sign. Exod. In the last three verses of this chapter we read that when these two signs were repeated in the sight of the people, the people believed. And they bowed their heads and worshipped. Just so, in addition to sending an angel to be with and to prosper brother Branham, he has also given him two perfectly miraculous signs which have served to raise the faith of thousands of the humanly incurable to the level where the gift of healing operates. The first sign, when the angel appeared to Brother Branham, he told him how he would be able to detect and diagnose all diseases and afflictions, that when the gift was operating, by taking the right hand of the patient he would feel various physical vibrations or pulsations which would indicate to him the various diseases from which each patient was suffering. Germ diseases, which indicate the presence and working of an oppressing acts, spirit of affliction can be distinctly felt. When the afflicting spirit comes into contact with the gift it sets up such a physical commotion that it becomes visible on Brother Branham's hand, and so real that it will stop his wristwatch instantly. This feels to Brother Branham like taking hold of a live wire with too much electric current in it. When the oppressing spirit is cast out Jesus' name, you can see Brother Branham's red and swollen hand return to its normal condition. If the affliction is not a germ disease, then God always reveals the affliction to Brother Branham by the spirit. This first sign usually raises the faith of the individual to the healing level. But if not, 
The second sign does. The second sign, the angel told him that the anointing would cause him to see and enable him to tell the suffering many of the events of their lives from their childhood down to the present time. He even tells some their thoughts while they are coming to the platform or before they came to the meeting. I heard him say recently to a mother bringing her little girl, Lady, your child was born deaf and dumb. And as soon as you discovered she could not hear, you took her to the doctor, and then he told the mother exactly what the doctor said. The mother said, that is exactly right. The great audience hears all this over the public address system. Brother Branyam actually sees it enacted and pushing the microphone away so the audience won't hear it, he tells the patient any unconfessed and unforsaken sins in their lives which must be given up before the gift will operate for their deliverance. As soon as such persons acknowledge and promise to forsake the sin or sins thus revealed, the healing often comes in a moment before Brother Branyam has time to pray. These statements by the angel are verified in the Branyam meetings nightly before the eyes of thousands. Thus the great audience is witnessed nightly over and over again three distinct types of miracles. The first two do not heal the sufferers, but only serve as signs to raise the faith of the afflicted to the level where the gift of healing operates for their deliverance. Of course, these two miraculous signs are possible only while the anointing of the Holy Spirit is upon Brother Branyam for this purpose. No doubt, a few Christians here and there, during the church age, and some at the present time have been endowed with the gift of healing which is listed among the nine spiritual gifts in I Corinthians, each of which is defined as the manifestation of the Spirit. There should be laymen in every church thus endowed. But Brother Branyam is a channel for more than the mere gift of healing. He is also a seer as with the Old Testament prophets. He sees events before they take place. I asked him, what do you mean? How do you see them? He replied, just as I see you, only that I know it is a vision. Just as clearly as one sees material things around them, Brother Branyam, while in prayer during the day, sees in vision some of the principal miracles before they take place that night. He sees some carried in on ambulance cots, or sitting in wheelchairs, and can describe how they look and how they are dressed, etc. While being shown these miracles in advance, he usually becomes, for the time, unconscious of things going on around him. Not once during the more than three years since receiving the gift have these revelations failed to produce perfect miracles exactly as he had already seen them in visions. At these times he can say with absolute certainty, Thus saith the Lord, and he is never wrong. He told me last week that he simply acts out what he has already seen himself doing in the vision. The success of this phase of his ministry is exactly percent. When the gift is operating, Brother Branyam is the most sensitive person to the presence and working of the Holy Spirit and to spiritual realities of any person I have ever known. Under the anointing, which operates his spiritual gifts, and when he is conscious of the angel's presence, he seems to break through the veil of the flesh into the world of spirit, to be struck through and through with a sense of the unseen. Paul wrote, 2 Cor. Quotes We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul's words here indicate that we are now living in two worlds at the same time the world of sense, and the world of spirit. The world of spirit surrounds, enspheres, and interpenetrates the world of sense. Both worlds occupy the same space at the same time. The material realities which we see with our natural eyes, exist in the midst of the far better realities which are unseen by the optic nerve. 
The scriptures teach us that the superior, eternal, realities compass us now. What sights might every one of us see at every moment of our existence, at every turn of our path, had we anointed eyes with which to see them? The seen exists in the midst of the unseen. The temporal in the midst of the eternal. Paul says, he that has joined unto the Lord is one spirit. While filled with the Holy Spirit, our spirit and God's spirit are blended into one in the same way that the ocean and the bay are one because the ocean flows into the bay. Then it is that the glorious spiritual realities gain the ascendancy and become the most dominant. We see truth and spiritual realities through God's eyes. At such times future events seem to be present like a preview of a coming motion picture attraction. Jesus said, the spirit will show you things to come. During the Fort Wayne meeting a lady came into the healing line carrying a child which was born with a club foot with its leg in a plaster cast. The moment Brother Branham saw them, without stopping to pray for the child's healing, he said to the lady, Oh yes, will you do what I tell you to do? The lady answered, I will. Then he said to her, Go home and get that cast off, and when you come back tomorrow night, bring the child, and she will have a perfect foot. The microphone carried these words to all in the great audience. It took them more than an hour that night to get the cast off. When the lady brought the child the next night, the child had a perfect foot and was wearing a new pair of little white shoes and was walking. The doctor x-rayed the foot and found it perfect. I asked Brother Branyan the next day why he passed the lady and the child through the healing line without paying for the healing of the child. He answered, it wasn't necessary, for in a vision in the afternoon I saw the child healed. It would make this article too long if I should relate many other cases much more wonderful in detail than this case. This phase of his ministry alone would furnish matter for a book. In St. John, Jesus said, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise, for the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things that himself doeth. What did Jesus mean? Of course, Jesus was as serious with the Old Testament prophets. He saw his miracles before they happened. He saw the man which had an infirmity years who could not get into the pool when the angel went down and troubled the water. Jesus came to him and said to him, Take up thy bed, and walk. Jesus saw Lazarus raised from the dead before he performed the miracle. He said to Nathanael, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee, John. He saw where the ass colt was tied without being there, etc etc. And the indwelling Christ is now perpetuating his works through human instrumentality according to his promise for this age, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also because I go to the Father, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John. In the case of the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment and was made whole, Jesus said, I perceive that virtue is gone out of me, Luke. When this became known, we read in Mark, that whithersoever he entered into villages, or cities, or country, they laid the sick in the streets, and besought him that they might touch but the border of his garment, and as many as touched him were made whole. Thank God that some virtue is still flowing from the indwelling Christ into the bodies of the sick and afflicted, and they are made whole. The two sign miracles which God manifests through Brother Branyan to raise the faith of those in the healing line to the right level, are given also to raise the faith of the afflicted in the audience to the same level.
This faith draws the same virtue from the indwelling Christ who is operating the gift, and heals those sitting in the audience. It makes no difference whether it is your diseases being supernaturally diagnosed, or the persons in the healing line, the signs are the same, and of the same effect on those sitting in the audience. Why should the signs be repeated for each individual who has already seen them? Moses did not repeat his two signs for each individual Israelite. A thousand could witness the demonstration and be caused to believe at the same time. Faith at the right level in any part of the great audience pulls on to virtue in the indwelling Christ who is operating the gift. And this can't take place without Brother Branyam knowing it. He feels it as distinctly as you would if I should pull on your coat, and knows the direction it is coming from. And he even points out the individual whose faith is touching Christ. While praying for those in the healing line in the Flint meeting, he stopped, and pointing up toward the second gallery to his right, said, I have just now had a vision of a lady dressed in a blue suit wearing a striped waist. She has just been healed of a cancer. The woman sprang to her feet and with great joy said, I am the lady. Her faith did for her in the second gallery what faith was doing for those on the platform. A young lady was carried into the meeting on a cot. She was dying of leukemia. Both at Johns Hopkins and at the Mayo Clinic, she was told that everything possible had been done and that there was no hope of her living. Her mind had begun to give way. I slipped off the platform to her cot and told her to be praying that God would lift her faith to the healing level and that it would either operate the gift or pull Brother Branyam down to her. I watched her lips moving in prayer and all at once Brother Branyam felt the pull of faith, jumped off the platform and went to her cot, prayed for her, and said, in Jesus' name arise from your cot, receive divine strength and be well. She obeyed and with hands uplifted and with tears of joy and worship flowing down her cheeks, she walked back and forth before all the people and down the aisles. Her sister told me afterwards, my sister is wonderful. In the Great Fair Park Auditorium in Dallas a few months ago, one night when the orchestra pit was full of stretcher and wheelchair cases, while Brother Branyam was busy praying for those in the healing line, he kept feeling the pull of faith from his right which finally stopped. When he got through with those with whom he was dealing, he pointed to a man on a cot in the orchestra pit, and said to him, Man, get up, you have been healed about five minutes. He got up praising God. His wife came to him and they threw their arms around each other and wept for joy together. He had been brought from Chicago in a dying condition with his lungs being eaten up with cancer. He was healed and came to the next meeting in Fort Wayne a few days later to give his testimony. He has attended two other meetings since. I could go on reciting many pages of similar healings of those healed while sitting or lying on stretchers in the audience without Brother Branyam ever touching them. All were healed in Peter's shadow without his touching any of them. There is no such thing as a hard case with God. A lady from Greece who had no opening in her throat entered the prayer line. She could not swallow a single drop of water or any kind of food. As soon as Brother Branyam prayed for her she drank a glass of water and ate a candy bar. A night or two later in that same meeting nine deaf mutes came in the prayer line and all nine were healed. Those born blind received their sight. After praying for one totally blind man, Brother Branyam said to him, Walk to the pulpit and put your finger on that preacher's nose. He walked straight to the minister and pulled his nose, causing the audience to laugh. A very noted missionary from Palestine in the last stage of TB was brought from Yakima, Washington, in an ambulance to the Civic Auditorium in Seattle, Washington. The government paid his plane fare home. When he was commanded, 
in Jesus' name, to arise and be well, he did so, and two days later he was doing manual labor around his home. Just as an altar call or invitation to sinners follows an evangelistic sermon, so after the supernatural diagnosing and healing of those in the healing line, the invitation is now being given to those in the audience who are prepared to receive healing to come or be carried forward to be healed or saved physically. The healing of one at a time on the platform is only preliminary to the main healing service. It is only an object lesson sermon, so to speak, to all in the audience who need the benefits of the healing part of the gospel. Just as a hundred sinners may respond to the invitation of an evangelist and experience the still greater miracle of the new birth in mass, so it was amazingly demonstrated a few days ago in the Louisville meeting that the sick can be healed in mass by the gift of healing. Brother Branham ventured on this procedure there, inviting those on cots, those in wheelchairs, and the crippled to be brought forward first, and then those who could walk on their crutches and those suffering with cancer and other diseases to come toward the front and stand behind the stretchers and wheelchairs. As they began to surge forward, their faith began to pull on the healing virtue in the gift, and the healing demonstration was beyond anything yet witnessed in a Branham meeting. While on their way forward, Brother Branham pointed rapidly to one after another saying, Christ has healed you. The people threw their prayer cards into the air, threw down their crutches and those who could not stand or walk sprang to their feet, some of them jumping and praising God for joy. The demonstration was beyond description. One boy in a chair who could not stand or walk, El saw him spring to his feet praising God. A few minutes later, I motioned to him and asked the crowd to make way and let him through to the platform. He walked to the microphone and fairly preached to the weeping audience. The gift operated for mass healing just as it had already done in the healing line where they were healed one at a time. The wife of the pastor of the Church of the Open Door phoned me the next morning that several members of their church were healed in this mass healing service the night before. And the best of all, sinners are thus brought under conviction for sin and want to be saved. In Romans, Paul speaks of making the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. From Jerusalem, and round about unto Illyricum. I have seen as many as two thousand sinners in a single Branium service spring to their feet in tears to give their hearts to God. No wonder Jesus said, Into whatsoever city ye enter heal the sick that are therein. Quoting sir. The Apostle Paul said in if. Quotes when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. The news of this divine gift to the church, in three short years has traveled around the world, and many urgent calls are coming from foreign lands and from missionary stations across the seas. Many of these have recently come from various sections in Africa. Some sufferers have been flown over the waters from other countries to the United States to be healed. When Brother Branham visits mission fields I believe there will be the greatest spiritual awakening the church has witnessed since the first century. Before closing, I feel that I must say to those who read these lines, and are unable to attend a Branham meeting, that you can be healed, too. Thousands have been miraculously healed through their own prayer. God desires your healing more than it is possible for you to desire it. Jesus died to make it possible. Calvary makes everything promised legally your personal property. Every whit whole, is God's will proved and demonstrated to multitudes.